Well, thank you, brother, for leading us. Thank you, Haley, for that beautiful special. Thank you for those that helped take up the offering and that serve so faithfully Sunday in and Sunday out. Thank you, Mark, for hitting record so faithfully every single week. So appreciate you all being here this morning. If you would take a Bible, I hope you have a Bible with you, something that you can open up or something that you can turn on. And if you would, make your way to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. We have been walking through together as a church on Sunday mornings through the book of 2 Peter. And so that's where we were at last week. And so you might think, well, we're just going to continue in in 2 Peter. But uh, we're going to take a break over this Sunday and next Sunday because... As uh, Greg has already said, today is Palm Sunday, and really today is the big kickoff of what um, we have known in the Christian church as being Holy Week, and this leads all the way up to uh, where I hold that um, he's betrayed on Thursday night, Um, Jesus dies um, this coming Friday, um, chronologically speaking, um, buried in the tomb on Friday, rises on Sunday, and so as we look at this whole week, his last time coming into Jerusalem, this triumphal entry, and him coming in, and then this whole week, what it means, um, what it points to and presents over 2,000 years ago, and then even as we are looking forward to this coming Sunday being Easter Sunday, a Resurrection Sunday, a time that we get to come and celebrate not just the empty tomb back then, but the empty tomb that is still empty. There's a lot of false religions in this world today that their gods are dead. Our God is not dead. And it's not just our God, it's the God. It doesn't matter about your false religions. It doesn't matter about your false teachings. They may have what they consider to be their God's little g, but the Bible is very clear. There is only one God and his son, Jesus Christ, is not dead. So when we come together, we're not coming together to celebrate something new that's happened. It's something we're celebrating, something that continues to be true all the way up to the point where he sends his son back for his church. So Matthew chapter 21, um, Greg already read a parallel passage of this having to do with the trial triumphal entry of Jesus coming into the city. Um, He read it out of a different passage. I'm here in Matthew chapter 21. And really what we're going to do this morning, if you got a bulletin on the back of that, there's some notes. We're just going to look at a question. One question in the text, but I want you to see with me, I'm just going to put before you, and you'll see there on the notes behind me, four questions for us as the church today. So let me read to you into your hearing. You can follow along as I read aloud. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 6 for the sake of context, but I'm going to mainly focus on, during our time together in the Word, mainly focus on verse 10 and 11. And there's one question in the text, but four questions that I want us to think about as a church. So here in Matthew chapter 21, in Matthew's account, this is what he writes. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They, they, brought, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he said on them, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. When he gets there to the text there in verse nine, and it says they were shouting, I I was tempted this morning to start shouting, but 
As it is most Sunday morning, Jaylene's about this time in the service, she has Micah about asleep. And I do not want to get in trouble after the morning service of reawakening the child. And so you just have to imagine, if you will, the whole crowd as they're coming into the city and the crowd is excited and the crowd is enthusiastic and the crowd is shouting. And this is the question that the city had. Verse 10, who is this? Four questions that I want to put before us this morning as a church. First question that I have for us this morning is, are we excited? Are we excited? As we gather here, it is representative of this is the day that we think back in the calendar when Jesus made his final, final time into the city. It's the triumphal entry, as I already mentioned before. It's, but when Jesus is coming in to the city, he is on the colt. And it says, as we're described there in Matthew chapter 21, that the people, the crowd, the people that were gathering, the believers in Jesus Christ, they were excited. So excited. Why? Because Jesus is is coming. Jesus was coming into town and they got so excited. It wasn't because the disciples were coming into town. It wasn't because the donkey was coming into town. It wasn't because it was the day after their Sabbath day. They were excited because Jesus was coming to town. Brothers and sisters, we may not get excited like we should, but when we realize that there is coming a day that Jesus is coming for us, we have something to get excited about. Now, they were sitting there not fully understanding, not fully realizing all that was going to take place. Even the disciples were still a little bit confused what was going to happen. They knew what Jesus had said, but they had a hard time understanding it. But now you and I sitting here in 2022, we can look back, we can understand what Jesus did, we can understand what Jesus has done, and we can understand what Jesus is doing today. And we know if we are a study, a student of our Bible, we know that the day is coming that Jesus is coming back. And that gives us something to get excited about. That gives us something to get happy about. I know right now we're coming up on the season of tax season and everybody always has their head down. Adam and I were talking about yesterday, the day before, about tax seasons and tax liabilities and how that can be such a bore. And sometimes you hear the phrase, the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. I would like to add a third one. And it's judgment before God. There is coming a day, church, that we will stand before God. And before that happens, according to the scriptures, Jesus comes back for his church. So the believers that were gathered around during when Jesus is coming into the city, they are excited. They are excited because Jesus is coming. And so what are they doing? It tells you back up there in verse eight that they were spreading their cloaks. They were cutting down the branches and they were laying it down. They were doing all these things of honor. They were doing all these things of reverence. They were making ready the way. They were making sure that everybody knew this is who Jesus is. This is why it's a big deal. And they were preparing for his coming, but not just that. You see there in the text, especially in verse 9, they were proclaiming his arrival. In verse 9, it says, the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. They were shouting, Hosanna. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the name, or the idea, the word Hosanna. It just means, Lord, save us. It's like they were sitting there realizing that they don't understand how all this is going to work, but they understand that that's the Messiah. Why? Because he said he was the Messiah. He said he was the Savior of the world. So they don't understand exactly how all this is going to take place, but they do know that their hope of eternal life is rested in that man. So as that man is riding into the city, they are shouting, Lord, save us. They are proclaiming his arrival. 
years ago, and this might date me, and you might make fun of me later on, and that's okay. <clears throat> Mid-90s, WWE wrestling was the thing. Thursday Night Raw. Myself and John Randall get together at John's house over here on Keys Drive, and we'd sit there, and of course we know it's fake. I know it's a story, but some of you ladies watch soap proper. Some of you guys watch The Bachelorette. Some of you guys, some, some of you people, we all have the things that we kind of enjoy. And so you would sit there on a Thursday night, Thursday night raw, and you would watch the wrestling. And it was always some type of a storyline. It was always something that was going on. They get in there and they do their deal. And you're like, oh, ha, ha, ha. But one of the things that was true about all the wrestlers is they all had an entry music. They all had a certain amount of colors. And so you'd be sitting there watching the wrestling program and all of a sudden the music would sound. And when the music sounded, if you were aware enough and if you knew enough about wrestling, you would know whose sound that was. Whether it's Stone Cold Steve Austin or whether it's Goldberg or whether it was The Rock or whether it was Rick Steiner or Scott Steiner or whether it's the Hardy Boys, you could tell by the sound, you would know who was coming. And sometimes you would sit there and go, oh, they're gonna come. Mankind would come into the room and next thing you know, you'd be like, you get excited because who was coming into the ring? See, most of you are looking at me like, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you have been deprived <laughs> in your life if you have never sat there and listened to the incoming music when rock steps into the scene. But it was one of those things you could tell by the colors of the lights, you could tell by the sound of the music, you could tell by the moment who was coming into the arena. Let me read for you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Let me read for you what the Bible says about Jesus. Chapter four and verse 16, it says, for the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So then he says in verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. So it's a command. It's a command that you and I should be excited. It's a command. It's a command that you and I should be excited. That's better. But, but, but it's one of those things that you say, well, you know what, Spence? I'm not that excited about your preaching. So? Well, I'm not excited about the temperature of the, the, the room. So? I'm not excited about the color of the carpet. So? I'm not excited about the time that you have the service. So, 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 so. Why are we excited? We are excited because we have a Lord that has come to save us and that we can have a personal relationship personal relationship with him and we have something to be excited about. In fact, back in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, encourage one another with these words. Not only do we have a command to be excited, we have a command to be excited, excited in front of other people. So that's why it says there, if you go back to Matthew chapter 11, and in the text, it says, verse 10, the whole city was stirred up. There was a whole group of crowd that was following after Jesus that got excited. And so the first question I have for you this morning is, are we excited? Second question is this, is our excitement known? So I'm going to tell you, some of you all are going to look around like, I'm excited, Mom, I'm excited. I'm, I'm tickled. I'm just, I'm excited. Is your excitement known? 
So it wasn't just the fact that the believers were excited, like, yeah, Jesus is coming in town and he's going to whoop these Romans and he's going to put them in the throne and he's going to do all this and he's going to take over and we're going to be in power and we got this, but we're just going to be reserved. We're going to be quiet. We're going to sit back. We're going to let Jesus do his thing and we're just going to watch. No, 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 no. The disciples were so excited. The believers, the followers of Jesus Christ were so excited that it tells us in verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. So it wasn't like these, these believers, these followers, the disciples of Jesus Christ were just like sitting over the side like, yeah, Jesus, you just do your thing. Yeah, we got your back, Jesus. No, 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 no. That's not how it was. Their excitement was known to the entire, the entire community. It's like this idea right here. Some of y'all ain't catching this. This should be the happiest place in town. This should be the happiest place in town. Not because this is the perfect place in town. Not because this is the best place in town. Not because this is the only place in town. But because, because this should be the happiest place in town. Why? Because, because believers, believers, we should be so excited that it should be known to all of those. In fact, it tells us there in the text that the whole city was stirred up. Why? Because the believers were Heard. Not just the believers were heard, but the believers were seen. The whole city was there. Now, this is right before the high holy day of Passover. Now, if you know very much about your Jewish tradition, the high holy day of Passover was not just another regular Sabbath. Oh, they came from far and wide. It was a big gathering. In fact, some commentators say that the population of Jerusalem would sometimes quadruple during these high holy days. They would estimate in the multiple millions of people would be convening into Jerusalem for this high holy day, which is why you get into Pentecost there in the book of Acts and all these people that were gathered there. Well, how did all these people from all these tribes and languages? Because it was the high holy day. Day. It was one of the big festivals that were going on. So right here, as they're coming into town, there are numbers, maybe, let's just be conservative and say one million people there in the town of Jerusalem. And that the Bible says that entire town is stirred up. Why? Because the excitement of the believers were known. Not only, what they, not only what they were doing was being heard by other people, but what they were doing was being seen by other people. And it says there in the text in verse 10, the whole city was stirred up. It was like they saw not just the excitement, but they saw what the excitement was doing. They saw how the excitement was treating them. And they all realized that everybody was happy about this whole moment. Last Thursday, Jalen and I had a chance. We went to the theater in Stillwater. We were watching William Shakespeare's uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream. And here in this theater, maybe 150 chairs, maybe 75 people are in attendance. And the play is going on kind of in the center of the room. And <clears throat> there's one particular character that was funny. And there was a husband and a wife and four or five daughters, looked like being in their late teenage years, earlier in their 20s. And they were sitting over there. And they thought this character was hilarious. So you're in a small room, 75 people in this room, and they are just crying. They're laughing so loud. They're laughing so hard. They just find it to be hilarious. And it's just, ah, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah. ha. And it got to the point that you saw other people were laughing because they were laughing. You ever seen that where it's contagious? That kind of joy is contagious. That kind of happiness is contagious. We got done with church on Wednesday night, and when we got done, there was an entire table of people that didn't move. You said the prayer, and they just sat there. They didn't move. And next thing you know, you started hearing them laugh. I knew Ryan was laughing, but you could hear other people laugh, and you could just hear it. 
Well, it's true. So, so, but it was just one of those things that you could just hear it and the, and the laughter and the joy or like we get done on a Sunday morning. And you all don't act like a covey of quail. It's like people just stay and people just hang out and there's joy and there's laughter and these things can be contagious. And this whole city of Jerusalem, as Jesus is coming into the city, they're watching these believers and they're watching the action of these believers and they hear what they're saying and they see what they're doing and the excitement became so contagious that the whole city, it says the whole city, I'm not making this up, I'm not putting this in the text, it says it black and white in front of you. The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Can you just imagine if it got to the point that the witness and the testimony of this church and this community was such that the entire town, the entire community of Wellston was coming and saying, who is is this. It was contagious. It was contagious. So let me ask you the third question. The first one is, are we excited? The second one is our excitement known? Here's the third one. Do we have an answer? Do we have an answer? So this goes back to the original question that you see in their text, the question from the crowd. The question from the city is, who is this? So people come up to us in the community and they say, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you living the way you're living? Why are you speaking the way you're speaking? Why are you talking the way you're talking? Why are you behaving the way you're behaving? Why aren't you doing th these things? Why aren't you participating in those things? Why is it that you do what you do? Why is it on a Sunday morning when it's beautiful weather outside at 1045, you are parked in here? Why? What is our answer? Notice, notice how the disciples put it. They gave an answer there in verse 11. And the answer is, according to the disciples, verse 11, and the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So here was their answer. And I think it's really interesting in the way that they phrase their answer. You see, up until this point, Jesus had not died. He had not fulfilled that office of Christ. He had not risen from, risen from the grave. So he hadn't fulfilled that office of Savior. So at this point, he was Jesus, the proclaimed Messiah. He was Jesus, the one that is saying he is going to save the people from their sins. But listen to the answer they had. It starts with a title. Here in the English translation that I'm looking at, it says the crowd said, this is the prophet. They started off with a title. Now the idea of prophet in the Old Testament a lot of times has to do with somebody that is not just speaking on behalf of God, but is foretelling what God says will happen. And so sometimes, think, sometimes people think that prophecy has to do with telling the future. While that has its place in the Old Testament in times, the idea of the office, the, the role, the title of prophet was somebody that spoke on behalf of God. It was somebody that spoke truth. It was somebody that said, this is what God is saying to you. Now, God would sometimes say, this is what's going to happen in the future. And the prophets would say that. But in the biblical sense, a prophet was somebody that spoke on behalf of God. So the crowd here is saying, we are going to tell you, we're going to tell you who this is. And we're going to start off by tell you, telling you this person's title. He is a prophet. He is a spokesperson for God, a bearer of truth. And then the second descriptor is a name. They start off with a title and they go to a name. I think it's interesting. They don't start with a process. They don't start with a methodology. They give you a name. This person's name is... Jesus, 
not multiple Jesuses, not veiled. Well, it's your Jesus and your Jesus and your Jesus and your Jesus. No, there is one name, singular. There is one person by which that they are to be saved. It is somebody that they knew, somebody that was relatable. Hebrews chapter, chapter 11 or chapter 12 tells us that Jesus came, was tempted in every way we were tempted and yet did not sin. It's the idea that when we think about who this Jesus, the Christ is, it's not somebody that is mythological, somebody that is abstract, somebody that is unknown, somebody that is unrelatable, somebody that is unrevealed. No, no, what they're saying is, is they are saying this is the title and this is the name. This is Jesus, one person, son of God, the only way to God. In fact, John 14, six, Jesus says, the only way to the father is through me. Sometimes people think that this whole idea of Christianity gets complicated. John said it very succinctly this morning that by faith in Jesus, you're saved. We don't have to complicate this thing. It's not the fact that you gotta be a member of a church and you know the preacher and you own a Bible and you go to church once a month in order to be saved. No! By faith in Jesus. And so the disciples are coming in, the believers are coming in and they're saying, yeah, we've got an answer. We've got an answer who this is. This is a prophet. This is a spokesperson sent from God to speak to the people. And this person is Jesus. Muhammad, tough luck. Ba, Baal, tough luck. Buddha, tough luck. Hindu, tough luck. All those other false religions, tough luck. Joseph Smith, all of those, good luck. They're not gonna get you to heaven. That guy, Jesus, that is the way to God. Not a shot, <laughs> not a donkey, not an elephant, not a political picture, political person, not a diet. Jesus, they said, we have a title, we have a name. And then not only that, the last part of that description that I see is a purpose. <clears throat> they have a purpose. They say there in the text, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, what is so significant about making sure that they include that this is Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee? Well, Nazareth, obviously, if you really, if you know that much about it, is the town. Galilee is the region. Why would this matter? Because the prophets in the Old Testament had foretold that God was gonna send a Messiah through this way. So the fact that they are dating that this is the guy, this is the guy coming from where God said he was gonna come from, this is the guy that has the genealogy and the lineage that God said he was gonna have, this is the guy that has all the credentials that God said was gonna take place, this is the guy, and when he's coming, he is not coming to usurp some type of government picture, some type of political authority. We are not going to save our society and our culture through policies and politics. We are going to bring about a restoration to our culture and our society through Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, they are saying that this is his purpose. He is not coming here running for office. He is not coming here to set some type of cultural norm aside. He is coming in here to fulfill God's direction to his people and to save the people from their sins. He had a specific purpose. So when the people look at the crowd and they say, who is this? This is Christ, the Son of God. Somebody ask you tomorrow, what does Easter mean? What are you gonna tell them? 
well, I'm going to start off and I'm going to ramble for a little while. And then I'm going to say, well, you know, I'm not really sure. And then I'm going to feel like I'm a little bit inadequate to answer the question. And we, we go around. The, the questions aren't, they don't have to be complicated. What does Easter mean? I can be saved. Why do you celebrate Easter? Because Jesus died for my sins. So what does that mean for us today? That means that you better get right with Jesus. That means that you better get your mind right. You better fix your face. You better fix your heart. You better get these things taken care of because you don't know how many more Easter's you got. There's all kinds of things, simple nuggets to go into. And brothers and sisters, so many times we don't have an answer that is succinct and clear for the world when they ask. We really don't know what we're doing. I pick on OU a lot. Partly because I love the people that love OU, but also because they deserve it. I don't see Charles here. Oh, I was wishing he's going to be here. So what do you think about an OU football game? According to the NCAA, a football team is going to have between 85 and 105 players. If you were to go yesterday and look at the roster between the redshirt freshmen and something, they have like over 140 names of players officially on the OU roster. 12 full-time coaches. Another 30 or so full-time employees that are considered full-time support staff. The official seating capacity of Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium is 80,126. Now, why do, you, why, why do you say that, Spence? Well, because there's so many times on a, on a Saturday, you have people that will come together for a football game or they'll come together for an event like that. And I wonder how many of those 80,000 people can say, well, I, I am here for this coach. I am here for player number 90. Or do they just come because of an event? Do they just come because of an activity? Do they just come because of of movement? I'm reminded when I think about Acts. And in Acts chapter 19, Paul is ministering there in the town of Ephesus. And as he's ministering in the town of Ephesus, the people are, re, are, are repenting and the people are turning and, and, and they're being changed in their life. And about that time, they were putting together, they were putting aside these foreign gods. And so there was a, a man that made these idols that got upset. So he started a riot there in Ephesus. And it says there in, in Acts chapter 19, it says in verse 29, it says, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and, and our aristocrats, Macedonians who were Paul's companions of travel. When Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let them and even some of the aristocrats who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Then he goes on, verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make offense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the scene is that there was this theater there in Ephesus and all these people were gathered together. This big old riot was taking place. It tells us up there in verse 32, most of them did not even know why they had come together. And for two hours they chanted, great is this false God, great is Artemis, great is all this. You had all these people that were gathered together that didn't even know why they were there. Now it can be OU, it can be OSU, it can be TCU, it can be whatever your favorite sports team is. 
You have all these people gathered together in one place. And if you were to look at them and say, what is your purpose in life? How many of them would have an answer? What is your hope for tomorrow? How many of them would have an answer? And church, how many people, if they looked at you and I today and said, who is this? Would we have an answer? Do we have an answer for why we do what we do? Let me give you this last question. The first question is, are we excited? The second question is, our excitement known? The third question is, do we have an answer? The fourth question is, is, are we sharing the news? Are we sharing the news? Jesus is coming in, his triumphal entry, he's coming into town. The believers, the followers, they're so excited, they're playing, they're close, they're putting down the palm branches, they're singing, they're shouting, Hosanna. They're so excited, the whole city is sitting there, they're watching this, they're seeing this, they're getting all stirred up, and they say, who is this, and what do the believers do? What do the disciples do? What do the followers do? They just don't sit back and say, well, you figure it out. They shared their excitement. See, see some, of the, some of the things, and I don't know about you, I'm just gonna tell on me for a minute because I'm not gonna try to assume this about you, but some of the reason while I am not so passionate like I should be about telling everybody that I know about Jesus is sometimes, sometimes my excitement wanes. I mean, if I woke up every morning, in fact, the, 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 the founder of the Salvation Army, in fact, he was quoted as saying this, and, and I'm gonna mess up the quote, so I'm just gonna paraphrase, but he said the greatest tool he would have to encourage people and to enlist people in the work of the Salvation Army is if he could take every volunteer and put them in hell for 30 seconds. Because then they would spend the rest of their life knowing how important salvation was. And, and sometimes, sometimes... I, I find myself distracted. I find myself being excited about different things. And sometimes I take my salvation for granted. Sometimes I find myself taking this free gift of forgiveness for granted. Oh, I can get excited about a lot of things. I can get excited about sports. I can get excited about money. I can get excited about accomplishments. I can get excited about promotion to work. I can get excited about a certain, a certain movement or a certain uh, event that is taking place in a society. But brothers and sisters, if we're to be honest, how many times do we find ourselves coming to church just not that excited? And our lack of excitement leads to a lack of sharing. You can look at the numbers when it comes to the church as a whole across the United States. And people will say, oh, the sky is falling. They'll talk about baptism numbers being down. And they'll talk about church attendance being down. And they'll talk about uh, conversions being down. And they'll talk about all these things on the downward trend. And it's like, oh, oh, we need to do something with about our methodologies. We need to do something about our policies. We need to do something about our procedures. We need to do something about our evangelism. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, I'm convinced and I'm convicted from the word of God that when we get excited when we get excited about what God has done for us, then we will tell people. See, the word of God does not need contextualization. Contextualization is something that somebody will come do. And especially in this day a and age of deconstruction and higher criticism, they will bring in this contextualization to look at the word of God and say, well, you know what? That was for them then. So now we need to twist it. We need to change it. We need to rebrand it into something that we can swallow today. 
May I remind you that sin is still sin. Heaven and hell are still very real places. We do not need to contextualize the word of God. We need to share the word of God. And not just that, but it doesn't need engineering. You have these engineerings in the world today and they will tell you exactly how to do something and they will dissect this down. They will plan this thing down. They will purpose this thing down. Derek and I were talking this morning before Sunday school. He was telling me he had a tractor and I was like, you know, I need a tractor. He's like, why don't you have a tractor? I said, well, I overthink things and I don't know what kind of tractor to get. And I don't know how big of a tractor to get. And I don't know about the implements and I don't know about this and I don't know about that. I need somebody to say, here, Spence, here's the tractor. Because you start to overthink things, and that's what the engineers do. The engineers are always trying to think things to death. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, you and I do not tell people about Jesus. Well, I don't have all the answers. What if they ask me a question that I don't know? Well, I don't want to be a bother to them. I don't want to, I, I don't want to, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to nag on them. I don't want to offend them. And you have all these reasons because you're trying to find the perfect thing. I'm going to tell you, friend, we do not need to contextualize. We do not need to engineer. What we need to remember and what we need to realize is their greatest need. Who is there? There is anybody besides you. Their greatest need is Jesus. Their greatest need is Jesus, not a jab, not a politician, not a policy, not a different government, not a different culture, not more money, not a better place to live, not a mouthful of food, not clothes on the back. Their greatest need is Jesus. And these disciples, these followers, these believers of Jesus Christ, they got excited. They got excited because they knew who this is. This is Jesus. So when the whole, story, the whole city came and said, who is this? <laughs> they said, that's Jesus. And you need some of that. You need some Jesus in your life. So we're coming here on Palm Sunday. I've already told you, based upon the word of God, we're commanded to be excited. Some of you all are saying, I don't, I don't, I don't accept that, Spence. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't receive that, Spence. But we're commanded to be excited. And he says, okay, so you want to be excited? Remember where you've been. Remember where you're going. Remember what God has done for you. Remember that it's not a matter of social service. It's not a matter of activities. It's not a matter of marketing. It's not a matter of numbers. It's the only thing that we know that will make a difference in people's lives is the name Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ can do for them. And church, we can get caught up doing a lot of things this week, last week, the week next. We can get caught doing a lot of things that don't reach people or teach people. What would it look like if every single one of us in this room this morning left excited about Jesus? Not just excited, oh, I'm, I'm gonna be happy. I'm gonna be a happy preacher. I'm gonna be happy. No, we got excited. We got excited, we painted our face. What, they do that to sports games? Oh, you can't get excited and wear face paint? You can do that kind of stuff. Oh, you can get excited and you can wear face paint. You can get excited and you can have your chance and you can have your roof. Can you imagine if over there John would start the wave and the whole congregation, we'd just start the wave and it'd go back and forth and back and forth. I'm talking about getting excited and they're like, well, we gotta be more dignified than that. Okay, then let's be dignified, but let's let people know that they need Jesus. I'm not saying you gotta be irreverent. I'm not saying you gotta be blasphemous. I'm not saying that you gotta go out and make a fool of yourself. What I'm saying is, is far too long, the church has sat there numb, dumb, and quiet and hasn't said a word. And we've watched everybody else 
be more excited about their false gods than we are about the true God. Why, why do we think that they have something more to be excited about than we do? There's gonna come a day, brothers and sisters, that we're gonna stand before God. And what are we gonna to say to God? Well, you know what, I get up and hoop and holler at that ball game, but you know what? When it comes to spiritual salvation, eternal things, you know, I just, I just kept quiet. I gave you something to be excited about. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I just, just didn't quite click. You know, I could put people around you that you could be excited too. Yeah, but you know what, I, I just never found the right, the right way. Well, you know, I gave you an answer. I told you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but you know what? It just, it just wasn't ever clear. I gave you news to share. I was too busy reposting on social media, getting on Marketplace. I was too busy reading the latest blogs. I was too busy keeping track of all the misinformation and disinformation that's out there. I was too busy chasing my tail to follow after Jesus. I wonder how many of us does the community outside look at us and say, who is this? Would you bow your heads with me? No, don't bow your heads. I'm not done. Because I still got, you were going to let me go on. So let me give you some good news. I about forgot that. It wasn't a bad spot, but I'll, let's, just, let's just keep going. So let me tell you some good news. Some good news that I want you to think about for this coming week. The first one is, is he is still the same Savior. He is still the same Savior. So this Jesus that they got all excited about, this Jesus that they were so, they were so exercised about, this Jesus that they were running around, bouncing off the walls, going, ah, Hosanna, Hosanna. Okay, wait, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they were all excited about this idea of Jesus. He's still the same Savior. Oh, so they can get excited, but you don't have to get excited. Well, maybe they understood who Jesus was and maybe you still got room to grow. Maybe you just haven't figured it out the way that they figured it out. Maybe you don't realize how much of a sinner you are and they did. Maybe you don't realize how much you need Jesus and they did. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't understand just what Jesus has done for you. He is still the same Savior. Second thing is this on their good news. They can be saved today. Who is they? They is anybody that isn't you. It's the they, it's the there, it's the them. We're using the pronouns now. Pronouns now, this, uh, the, 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 the culture around us, but it's this idea that they can still be saved. Who? Anybody that you know. Well, that person, there is no way that person can be saved. Uh, you know what, friend? If you can be saved, they can be saved. They can still be safe. So you mean your neighbor? Absolutely. You mean your coworker? Absolutely. You mean the people around you? Yes, absolutely. All those people, they can still be saved. In fact, it tells us there, it gives a, a really stark example of this in Romans chapter 10. It reminds us in chapter 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul is writing there and he says, this is how people get saved when they hear people tell people about Jesus they can still be saved. Well, Spence, I really don't know how that's supposed to look. 
we have an example of what to do. What do you mean, Spence? What is my example? How am I supposed to do that? You get excited. You let your excitement be known. You go and you live such a life that people look at you and go, you know what, you're kind of crazy. What's going on with you? I got somebody to tell you about. Why are you doing this? I let me tell you why I'm doing this. I don't understand the change in your life. I don't understand the difference in your life. I don't understand everything that's going on. Let me tell you what God has done to me. We have an example. The example is all the believers and disciples here in this text in Matthew chapter 21, they started acting, behaving in such a way that it stirred up the entire city and it stirred up to the entire city to the point the city came and looked at them and said, who is that? And they said, that is Jesus. May we be a church. May we be a church that is not consumed with competition, that is not consumed with partialities, that is not consumed with cliques or divisions or infighting or pointing fingers or looking down judgmentally at anybody else. May we be a church that lives in such a way that this surrounding community sees a difference in us and comes and says, who is May we be that church this week. Now, bow your heads with me.